0: We do come to you right now asking again that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word and that uh, you could use me to to share your words. And we just, uh, again, thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. We worship you, Jesus' name. Message this morning will be focused out of Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. This morning, I'd like to read those verses as we open with the message this morning. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, as whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come to offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to a court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and the gu- and 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 he put you in prison. Truly, I say to you that you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Uh, you know we commented or I commented last week that in this series of. Uh, what Jesus says about various things here, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, that we would uh, be meddling more than usual. Uh, and, and what I want to say to that is that I want you to be assured that I, I do not meddle here, but, the, but that I have been meddled with before I got here. <laughs> and what I'm trying to say is that these are very amazing verses to hear and very you know, talk about things that can pierce you to the heart. And the reality is, is that they should. And so hopefully I convey the message uh, clearly this morning as we get into this. Um, and in order to, to understand this, this picture that Jesus is, is putting together in reference to anger and lust and, and marriage and other parts, we need to go back just for a moment to verse 20. And, and what Jesus says in reference to the, the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, after Jesus talking about that he has come to fulfill the law and that every iota and dot, every little part of it still stands that he has come to fulfill it and to complete it, he turns around and says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I know that we have talked about that already uh, some time ago and then a little bit last week. But I, I just want to emphasize that if you can just grasp how startling at least and, 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 and jaw-dropping this statement is that Jesus is making to a crowd of, of people uh, and, and the reality of what he's saying. Because the Pharisees and the scribes were the ones who were considered the most righteous in, in, in the community. They, they prayed, and they prayed the loudest. They gave, and they gave the most strictly, tithing everything, including their garden herbs. They had so many things that they did in such a way that their, their, their benevolence was done in such a way that everybody knew Oh, look, the Pharisees are, are at the, 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 the courtyard there at, at the temple giving today in their benevolence. They, they, they were known by everybody. And the scribes, many of them Pharisees themselves, but the scribes uh, as well were the teachers of the law. And they were the ones who, who recorded, uh, if there was a, a copy to be made of the word, they were the ones to do it. Scribes, Okay. And they would copy uh, the, 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 the page that they had literally so carefully that they didn't even do it in the sense of the way we might do it by reading the words and saying, you know, writing two or three words at a time. They wrote letter by letter. Well, I was going the wrong way. Letter by letter. And, and uh, just, you know, literally every dot, every small letter, every big letter was covered. Nothing was missed. And at the end, they had a a formula that they basically used that counted out the letters so that they could double-check. And if this letter was not in the same spot, in the same line as the the original copy, what they had just written was thrown away. Now, think about writing with quill and uh, pen and ink and having copied a a large section of Scripture and then turning around and saying, oops, this, uh, well, we'll use the smallest letter. I missed an iota. Boom. Throw it away. Well, not, you know, I'm over here, circle it in red and put it in so I don't miss it next time. But, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I will, I throw all of that away? Like how, how do you do that? That was how strict these men were in reference to how they looked at the law of God. It's important for us to grasp that. Because when Jesus says that if our righteousness does not exceed theirs, we're not part of the kingdom of heaven. And that is an amazing thing to say because if they can't make it, who can? That has to be in the minds of the people. And there are times where Jesus also speaks about the wealthy. He said, it's going to be hard for them to get into heaven than they, they, the camel through the eye of a needle type of thing. And I'm not going to get into all of the logistics of that. But, but the reality is, is that the, the disciples again say, gee, well, then how, how does anybody stand a chance? Because you see, the wealthy people, many of them also scribes and Pharisees, uh, were able to stand at the gate, the city gate, and talk about Scripture all day long. What a blessing. How many of you are familiar with Fiddler on the Roof? You know, uh, uh, where Tavia sings, if, if, if I Were a Rich Man. And one of the things he would say, then I could stand at the gate and we could talk about the, the scripture all day. He, would, he looked at that. You see, that, that was a part of this, this picture. So as Jesus says this, you know, your righteousness must exceed. And the word exceed here isn't just be a little bit more the idea of exceed here is to to win substantially to to go substantially beyond if your righteousness doesn't go substantially beyond what the scribes and the Pharisees have then you will have no part of the kingdom of heaven okay now like i said you know uh, these were the people uh, that were so caught up with keeping well, Paul talks about it in 2 in, 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 in Corinthians, uh, about keeping the letter of the law and missing the spirit of the law. And I want you to understand as we get into this, there is the, the letter of the law is not discounted or, or minimized in any way when we say that. Because if it weren't for the law, we wouldn't know how to have the spirit. Of the law, and in that sense of we wouldn't understand the, the the word of the law is here to do something, and and the purpose of the law is, is, is as Paul teaches us in Galatians, for instance, is that it was here to tutor, to be the schoolmaster over us, to show us the holiness of God. Why is that so important? Well, because both in the Old Testament and the New Testament there are phrases. Well, in the Old Testament, "Be ye holy as I am holy." And here, even in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you must be perfect for your Father in heaven as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, wait a minute. Everybody knows that that holiness is God and God alone. He's alone perfect. So how do we do that? Well, the scribes and the Pharisees said, by being meticulously tight on keeping the letter of the law. That's why Jesus said every iota and every dot was important. That's exactly what a Pharisee would have said. And yet, there's something missing, obviously, based on what Jesus says here. I'd like to, to take a, a, a quick look at, at uh, a parable that Jesus shares in the, in the Gospel of Luke, um, Luke uh, chapter eighteen, uh, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector, uh, starting with chapter or chapter eighteen verse nine. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, I have to stop there and just make sure you understand who had, the, the, the idea of a tax collector. Uh, Matthew would identify with this personally very very closely because Matthew had been a tax collector. If you are uh, recalling possibly and thinking in terms of of King James, a publican. You know, that is a person who went and collected the taxes for Caesar from the Hebrew people. And what happened was that the, 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 the uh, Romans were very smart about this. They would, they would hire, if you will, men of the ethnic groups that they were collecting taxes from to be the tax collectors because they knew when they showed up, that tended to agitate everything especially in the Hebrew culture because they'd show up with a guy with a a couple of soldiers with a shield with an eagle on it and and all of this reflecting to Caesar and his godliness, if you will. And so it was an offense. So Matthew would have been an example of a tax collector. And the Hebrew people as a whole looked on the tax collectors basically as as traitors. They worked for the Romans. And and took away the taxes. Jesus, by the way, said, you know, you still have to pay your taxes even though you don't agree with Rome. Give to Caesar what is Caesar, and still your tithe. Give to God what is God's. And so, you know, the tax collector is 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 simply doing a job. But you know, I can't help but see the how they how they felt about it. And I and I think how I might feel the same way. Oh, here comes my my. Ex-friend neighbor who now works for Caesar. So I can see how that could happen. And so here they are both at the temple praying. What this is telling you, though, is something interesting about the tax collector. He's 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 seeking the face of God, or he wouldn't be here. Okay, so keep that in mind. And 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 so the Pharisee and the tax collector, again, they're praying. Uh, and and uh, the Pharisee standing by himself, by the way, there's a reason for that. Pharisees the very name means separatist. I, I've got to be careful about who I stand next to or I will be defiled. I must be separate. I can't touch but, you know when you have the the, 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 the good Samaritan parable and the guys can't go by and touch him or help him, that's because they would be defiled. Okay? And they're going to do something special and holy and worshipful, so they don't want to be defiled, because then they wouldn't be able to do that. Okay? And so the, the, the Pharisees took it to an extreme, and, and as they did everything, to make sure that they were keeping the letter of the law. And he knows this is a tax collector. He's a turncoat. He's a traitor. He's, he's a despicable man. And, and, and I don't want to have anything to do with him. So he makes sure that he's not anywhere close to him. So he is what? Standing off by himself. Not in the crowd, but by himself. And people, by the way, because of the Pharisees dressed uniquely as well, would honor that. They wouldn't crowd them. And so here he is. They're, they're both there uh, praying. Uh, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust. Who's he referring to right there? The tax collectors, because they were notorious for collecting them. Their wages were actually the, 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 the base uh, they got. It's kind of like having a base pay minimum wage, but their real wage was what they could get above and beyond what was supposed to be collected. So if they could get that few extra uh, pieces of silver, they, that was theirs. Okay? So they are extortioners, uh, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus then says, I tell you, this man, The latter, the tax collector. This man went down to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself shall be exalted. Now, isn't that what we just went over in the Beatitudes? A person who is poor in spirit, realizing that they are a sinner, helplessly, hopelessly lost, begin to mourn over their sins, and in a humble way seek after the salvation of Jesus Christ because they realize there is no other answer. I can't fix it myself. That's the heart the tax collector, Jesus says, the tax collector came with. Not the heart the Pharisee came with. The Pharisee came with a heart of self-righteousness. He was depending on his own ability from the heart to discern what was right, and and that he was right. Jeremiah has something to say about the heart. By the way, does anybody recall what Jeremiah in chapter 19? I think it is. Or I can't remember the exact chapter, but 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 Jeremiah says about the heart. It's deceitfully wicked, and who can understand it? And the idea of who can understand it, and it, literally that word for understand is who can be who can be even a friend with it. In other words, how how can you comprehend? You know, hen It's not trustworthy. You can't even be friends with your heart. And the the first deception the heart pulls, if you will, is on yourself. Before you are a deceiver of others, you are a deceiver of self. And so all of this picture that's being drawn here is what we begin to see is Jesus is making a very clear statement about Pharisees and scribes. They are coming with a self-righteousness, feeling that because they know the letter, first off, they know the letter of the law better than anybody else. They are the teachers of the law, and they know how to keep the law, and quite candidly, they also know how to manipulate the law to make it work for them. Jesus accused one 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 group of uh, Pharisees. He said, "Man, you're tithing everything you've got, dill and cumin and everything else. But he says you're not even giving to your your parents' needs." And it was kind of like, "Yeah, but but it's Corban. We a word saying it's committed to 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 God. I can't give that to my parents." And Jesus said, "You hypocrites. The first the commandment is to honor your mother and your father, and you're defiling." They're not keeping that. You see, they would even learned how to manipulate the law. And, and you've got to understand, who are the teachers? These guys are the teachers. So when the when the, scribe, or when the, people, the general people are coming, this is who has teaching, is teaching them. It's important to understand all of this. And so we have this sense of pride versus one who is poor and mourns and, and is meek and humble when he approaches God. One who keeps the letter of the the law and the other who sees the spirit of the law and sees his heart damaged and dark and he is broken over his sin. Is the letter of the law still important? Absolutely. He wouldn't know what the letter of the law was. He wouldn't know what sin is. Paul says, I wouldn't know sin if it weren't for the law. But it teaches me that because this is, is sin, it keeps me from God and so now I know. The question is now, what do I do? We'll get to that in a few minutes. Pride, the letter of the law, the, the, keeping a system of works and self-righteousness. They missed the purpose of the law. It wasn't teaching them. They were just simply reading it and taking away from it what their dark hearts. And I have to say that because there's nobody that doesn't that has. Anything else? We all have hearts that have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned, and so they 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 take it a bit back to say, "This is what it says, and this is how you keep it, and this is what we'll do." And because we do this so well, we are better than everybody else. In fact, when the when the Pharisees would say, "Oh, look, there's Jesus with the with the the, the publicans, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, and the other sinners," basically. Do you realize that they were referring to everybody else but themselves? They were they were referring to every and everybody else would say, "Oh yes, that's who we are." Without without you Pharisees and scribes to show us the way, we'd be lost. That was the credibility that they had and the power and the authority that they appeared to have. They 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 missed this reality check that when the law says, Be holy as God is holy. When Jesus, as he would say here, letters, is being perfect because your Father in heaven is perfect, that, that was a statement to tell you you're in trouble. And so the law teaches us that the problem uh, is, is, uh, of man is that he is fallen, he is missing the mark of God's holiness. And that he can't trust his heart. He can't trust his feelings. And it's Jeremiah 17, 17 9. I, I do have it written down here. So Je- Jeremiah seventeen nine. it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And like I said, as to who can know it, who can be friends with it. It can't be trusted. And the first person to be deceived by your heart would be you. Well, this takes us now from pride to the reality of of how do you deal with the law then? And and Jesus wants us to say there is the letter of the law and there is the spirit of the law. That's what he's alluding to here. And so this is basically what he starts to do. He starts to teach about murder. Now, murder is one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill. Okay, And so when, when he says, you have heard that it was said. By the way, catch this phrase. This alone is important. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. By the way, that's two different parts of the, of, of the, the Old Testament. Uh, the, the first one is out of Exodus chapter 20 where it's listing the Ten Commandments about thou know, shall not kill. And the other one is out of, out of Numbers where it talks about uh, being brought before judgment for murdering. Okay, And so they, the, the two brought together, which is what the Pharisees did. And so he says, this is what you've been taught. And notice how he says it. You have heard that it was said to those of old. He isn't saying the word says or the scripture says or it is written. The phrases that would normally be used to designate the word of God. He says, you've been taught this. Make sure you understand that because he's making sure that they are hearing, this is what you've been taught. This is not necessarily what the word says. This is what you've been taught. By the way, it is what the word says, though. Watch what happens here. But I say, again, extremely powerful verse. But I say to you, what Jesus is now doing is he's taking authority. He is saying, I know what this says. I know what this means. And you haven't been taught it. He says, but I say, in contrast, I say. But wait a minute, this is what the word says. What's going on here? Again, the letter versus the Spirit. The thing that the Pharisees have missed. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to hell, the hell of fire or to get Guyana, the, the idea of hell and fire. Oh. You realize who he's put into this group by 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 defining it this way? Everybody including the Pharisee in chapter uh, 18 of Luke who was condemning and calling this other person and and, and insulting him. That's why I've I've used that as one of my reference points. It's so clearly blatant there. He says if this is what you've done, then you've actually broken this law of murder. And therefore, indeed, you are worthy of what? judgment some try to really get into the semantics of, of the word judgment here and the way it's a context is as he talking about civil government or the judgment of god and, and different types it doesn't matter the issue here i believe is because he's quoting the uh, saying that, that, that this is what you've been taught but it's referring to the word of god i think it's talking about god's judgment my personal opinion and that you 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 are now because you fit into one of these categories or all of them. Uh, you know, I could ask you to raise your hands. Which of you have have have, have, have fallen into any one of these categories that Jesus lists? We'd all have to do this. And then I would say, how many of us have fallen into all of these categories? Then we would all have to do this. Now I'm meddling. You've heard this taught by the Pharisees and the scribes. But I say to you, it's not just the act of murder that's in question here. It's the heart. It's what Jesus is really talking about. You do recall uh, probably out of, uh, out of another part of Matthew where Je- Jesus says, out of the heart comes the, the, the things that give, the word to, uh, give voice to, to the words of your mouth, you know, basically. It's the heart that's corrupt and that's what comes out of the mouth it's not what goes in but it's what comes out it was after a, a, a confrontation about the washing of hands before eating and 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 Jesus says it's not what what you do on the outside that counts it's what comes from the inside and and the heart Jeremiah again says is totally corrupt can't be trusted and the Pharisee is saying that it's I'm telling you that that this is what i'm doing and he's basically saying based on my feelings my my opinion and my not on the understanding of the word of god but my opinion of the word of God this is how you keep it and like i said they were great at manipulating it as well let's see I uh, can't travel any further than x number and I know there's a number to it but i, I can only travel so many uh miles or, or or feet or yards whatever it is uh uh in, in in on on the sabbath so from my home so now i'll put stuff from my home further down the road and that way i can travel from there too and so basically wherever my stuff is my home is you know kind of attitude they knew how to get around the law but if anybody else was was doing something you know where they had not quite kept the 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 all of the the ceremony or the law again the washing of the hands any and, and traditions there they wash their hands in a very special and particular way uh, they would point it out and say oh you sinners get into Matthew you know later on there's uh, the chapter that deals with the seven woes and it's woe unto you scribes Pharisees and hypocrites So the words from our mouth are out of our heart, and so we stand condemned as soon as we read this, basically. So what do we do? Well, the first thing is, is that when you're at the altar, by the way, where was in the, the parable of the, of the publican and the Pharisee, where were they at? The temple at the altar with their prayers and, and probably having brought their offerings. Okay. When you're at the altar, and you know that your brother is at odds with you. By the way, notice how this is. It's not that you have odds with your brother. You know that your brother is not happy with you. You know, it's so easy for me to, you know, well, that's his problem. God says, no, it's not. It's your problem, too, because if your heart is not desiring to be at peace with your brother, then you can't be at peace at the altar either. You need to be in as much, and this is the way Paul would put it again in, in chapter 12 of Romans in as much as it's possible for you, as much as it depends on you, be at peace. So, what does Jesus say? You must leave the altar. And by the way, they leave their gift there, they don't take it with them. You leave your, your offering there at the altar. You leave the altar, you go and find your brother and reconcile. Now, the idea that the brother has odds against you implies that he has reason to have odds against you, by the way. And so maybe you have offended him in some way. And you know, our tendency is to come up to somebody and say, you know, I'm really sorry, but these were the circumstances. Just, I'm sorry. Take responsibility for your fallenness, and 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 and, and re- realize that, you know, uh, you know I, and I recall one time where where this hit me so hard. Um, it was on a graduation night at, at school, and I was really busy uh, getting things set up for it, and one of the young a uh, young man who had not stayed with the school the christian school and his parents had pulled him out and put him in public school walked by and he said hi pastor bob and i said nothing to him i don't recall even seeing him quite frankly i don't i don't i, I just i did ignore him i didn't see him even and he was so crushed because he made an assumption that the reason why I didn't acknowledge him was that he was no longer part of the Christian school. Thank heaven somebody came up and told me. I had to stop what I was doing right then, right there. Because before the evening was over, I would be giving some words from the scripture. And I had to go to this young man and say, I am very sorry. And I didn't say, but, you know, I was really busy. I just... Had to say, I'm very sorry I ignored you. Because what? I had. I had ignored him. Yeah, you know, it's as simple as it as, as, as it gets. So we leave the altar, we go and reconcile, and then we come back when we are at peace with our brother and we make our offering. Now, there's a lot of different ideas about. What comes to uh, this part about going to, you know, uh, on the way to court with your accuser and and making, uh, uh, you know, uh, settling terms quickly, come to terms quickly. Well, let's just read it, verse 25. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge uh, to the guard. And, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. There's various interpretations, but I'm going to just go with the simplest thing I can see here. Number one is that if you're going with your accuser and the idea is that you're going to be turned over to the judge, you're probably guilty is what Jesus is implying here. Just the same about with the idea of your brother having odds with you. you know, and, and so rather than go to the judge, find a way to be at peace before you ever get there because if you don't do it, you will find yourself in prison. And in debtor's prison in, in, in the times of Jesus, you didn't, you were put into prison. There was no money that comes your way. The only way you were going to get out is if a, a redeemer came and bailed you out. Somebody in the family who had resources and wealth or a group of people that had access to, uh, the, to the debt just to be settled so they could settle the debt for you, you wouldn't get out until every penny had been paid. So basically what he's saying is, you know, if, if you cannot, you have an accuser before you and he's, and he's got a, a just cause and you don't get at peace before you get to court, you're in trouble. And there's two senses here. One is, that, is the need to be at peace, but the other one is a sense of urgency. This isn't something that needs, it can be put off. All of a sudden you're going to find yourself, it's too late. And I think the real reference here is, is, is putting it all together is, is basically don't depend on your self-righteousness. You can't depend on that. You, look at the way this really is. If you get angry, if you call your brother a, a, a fool, if you insult your brother and call him empty, uh, raka, a fool, and it's more than just a fool, it's empty, meaning with no values and this type of thing. Uh, if, I, if, I, if I call you, you know, if you do any of these things, then you are now at odds with the law. You deserve the judgment. You're en route to court. Settle fast. Or you'll have to pay. And we know the reality of, of this when we start to talk about sin. How do you pay for sin? How do I and you pay for sin? We don't. We have no money that will pay for sin. There's nothing, we don't have enough of anything. If we had the whole world, we have a song that uses that idea. If I had the whole world, it wouldn't wouldn't be enough of an offering. If I had all the resources, it wouldn't be enough. If I had everything that God had created, it wouldn't be enough. Sin can only be paid for by the sacrifice of life, the pouring out of blood, life is in the blood, according to the Old Testament. The pouring out of blood, so that, that that sin can be done and taken care of. And so, what happens? We realize, you know what? We're already in prison, in a sense. It's already too late. I've already what? Sinned. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We're all in serious trouble. We have a debt that has to be settled. There is a way to do this. Cry out to the family redeemer. There's only one, by the way. Jesus Christ. When it comes to this situation, there's only one you can cry out to. To come and redeem me. And I stand before the throne of God as the tax collector, I am a miserable, wretched sinner with a dark, despicable, <laughs> deceitful heart. I cry out, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. And when we're sincere, when when God opens our hearts to see who he is, and we see it and we confess and, and we cry out with our poor spirit, and, 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 and the idea of mourning over our sin and, 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 and humbly asking him for a way. And that's what Jesus says, by the way, that this tax collector, it was his humility. We come meekly before the throne of God. Not, and people say, well, wait, we're supposed to come boldly. No, that's down the line. And we don't come boldly to ask for just anything. You know? but, 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 but at this point, we come brokenhearted and we rest in, in Christ. There is a sense of boldness because we can come with the confidence that he will forgive us. And it boils down to what I have said here several times as we look at this. I can't. He can. It's as simple as that. I need to rest in him where the words, it is finished, came from his mouth on the cross so that I could be redeemed. And I desperately need it. And the only way I can get it is to confess and believe. Confess with my mouth. Believe in my heart. Somebody asked me once, how many times will you say that in your lifetime? As many times as I need to hear it. So, I, that's you know If you don't hear it, 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 maybe you don't need to hear it as often as I do. I don't know. But I, I have my suspicions. I'm done meddling for the morning. But I hope you realize it isn't me who's meddled. It's the Word of God that has talked to us. But I'm going to come and celebrate what my Redeemer has done. As we come into communion. Ask the ushers to uh, come forward, pass the communion out until we've all been served, and we'll share together. At the end of the passage that deals with the Beatitudes, it says to rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. And I know that I'm just taking that one section out of context for the moment, but the reality is that that's where we rest. We have heaven because of what Christ has done for us. And that song does also remind us that, you know, as a result, we are the bride of Christ. And when it's saying how beautiful is the body of Christ, it, one might think we're talking about Jesus, and we are, but we're also talking about his church and his bride, who we are. Through Jesus Christ, that's how we are. We are the beautiful bride of Christ, thanks to his redemption, for him paying the price, for saying the words "It is finished. When we come to the cross and enter into the reality of the sacrifice of what Christ has done, we find His grace and His mercy, and we find it in abundance. And so we come back to the Word. Our righteousness needs to exceed, it needs to be much more than. We come to the cross through the blood of Christ, we come in His grace and His mercy into salvation. We come into children of the kingdom of heaven and we have abundant grace. The only way to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees is to come by the abundant grace of Christ. And he asked us that as often as we would gather together, and I believe that to be nothing less than weekly, (coughs) weekly, Uh, And therefore, I've always been in a church where we serve communion every week, (laughs) uh, except for a very brief time. And and it's interesting that they thought about changing their mind. Uh, it's, it's, It's such an important part of taking that moment to say thank you to the Lord, realize our condition before him, ask for his forgiveness, a reminder of those things that we need forgiveness for, and then to honor him as he asked us to as we share in the bread and the cup. He said this at, the, at that supper, at the night he was betrayed, he said, this is my body broken for you. And he asked his disciples to, to eat it, and, and, and he said that uh, we were to do that in remembrance of him. Let's do it this morning. The end of the meal, Jesus taking the cup of wine and giving it great symbolism as the as the picture of his blood poured out at the cross to purchase the grace and the mercy, the covenant of grace, the Redeemer's blood. And he asked us as often as we would share this <coughs> cup to do it as in remembrance of him until Father, again we come this morning to say thank you. To acknowledge that when we say you alone are worthy, <clears throat> literally you alone are worthy. No man, no woman, no group of people are more worthy than anyone else. All of us stand in the in the, in the shadow of darkness of our sin until we come into your grace and your mercy, and you alone can bestow that. You alone can give it to us, Lord. And we rest with confidence in your gift of life. Thank you. I think of the song we, we were you know, singing as we opened the service. We're alive. And we're alive in Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. Cause us to go with attitudes that reflect that everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Would you stand as we close? And as we do, I'm reminded here as I put this here so I couldn't miss it,